0: Daniel chapter 2. Beginning with verse 14. Daniel chapter 2. Maybe I-, I want to ask you, please, to just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts tonight. I'm going to try to be brief. But it's difficult when we get to the book of Daniel to be brief. But I am going to try to be brief tonight, LC. <laughs> Pray for me as I try that. In Daniel chapter 2, let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father, we pray tonight that the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts, that everyone here would sense that the Lord Jesus has spoken to us, that we've been there where Daniel stood in the long ago, and peered down through the corridor of the years. They've seen all the world-shaking empires rising to power and then crumbling and ruin away. And behind it all stands that forever kingdom where all the heartaches and sorrows and tears will fade away forever. Encourage hearts tonight with this. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Reading from Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 17. I think two Sunday nights ago, we, two or three Sunday nights ago, we preached from chapter 1 and part of chapter 2. And we remember that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed a dream, and he had, he could not tell what his dream was, and he demanded that that dream be told and the astrologers and the wise men did not know what it was. And so he threatened to have killed all the wise men of Babylon. And to get rid of, that edict would have included getting rid of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Daniel went to his home, in verse 17, and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to those who know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast made known unto us the king's matter. In Verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers reveal unto the king? But there is a God in heaven who revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter. And he who revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I may have more than any other living, but for their sakes, that shall make known the interpretation to the king, that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee. The form of it was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest until a stone was cut out of without hands, which smote the image upon its feet, that there were that were of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then were the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth." This is the dream, and we will tell its interpretation for the the king. Thou, O King, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heavens hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of bronze which shall bear the rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, forasmuch as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay, part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou, hast, thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere one to another even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in those days of these kings, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation of it is sure." Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. In 606, Babylon defeated Assyria and became the great world empire. Babylon began to make skirmishes into Judah. Already Israel had been taken captive by Assyria in the year 722 BC. And those 10 northern tribes had gone into oblivion and were not known, not heard of again. The two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, now forming all that was left of Israel, maintained their status quo, but they went deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. God had sent preacher after preacher and prophet after prophet to wave, as it were, a red flag in the face of God's people, reminding them to repent or they would perish. When Babylon took over Assyria, she began to make skirmishes into Judah and to carry away some of the people into Babylonian captivity. There were several carryings away, as it were, into Babylonian captivity, but the most severe and the final came in the year 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar led the Babylonian hordes down and they they crossed the desert and came in and surrounded the city of Jerusalem and laid waste to the city, the people in that city starving literally to death to the point where we're told in Chronicles, the last part of Jeremiah, that some of the mothers killed their own little babies and ate them. Such was the awful situation in the land of Jerusalem. Babylon took the the, the choice people of Jerusalem into captivity. Among these were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Down in Babylon, The king wanted to fatten them up and make them like all the other astrologers and wise men. But in Daniel 1.8, we read, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat nor with the king's wine. And so he remained true to the Lord God. Down in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was the first of the great world emperors or kings to sit on a throne over the defeated people of God. There's a phrase we read again and again in Scripture, the time of the Gentiles. And the Scripture says that when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, It speaks of this as a specific time. The Gentiles came into world ascendancy over the Jews in 586 when the Jews were taken to captivity and the Gentiles began to be over the land of of Israel. Babylon was not the first of the great world empire but it was the first of the great world empires to rule after the time of Gentiles had begun. Thus, the dating is exceedingly important. And when God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream, you might call it a nightmare, in which he saw this huge statue, this huge image, and the image had a head and breastplate and its loins and its legs and its feet, and they were all made out of different kinds of materials. The Scripture unfolds what all of this meant, and so very briefly tonight we want to see as a foundation for the rest of the book of Daniel the four kingdoms and the forever kingdom. In verses 37 and 38 we read of the first kingdom. This is the dream, and we will tell its interpretation before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all, thou art this head of gold, the golden head. Gold is the finest metal known in Bible times. It was used for vessels and furniture in God's temple. This kingdom was worldwide in power. Whether or not actually exercised, it had the efficacy to be worldwide. It was autocratic in its government, that is a government of one person, and Nebuchadnezzar was over that kingdom but the kingdom fell in a night. And God said through Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will not last forever. With all of its might and all of its prowess and all of its power, it will crumble and ruin away. In verse 39, verse A, the first part of that verse, after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, The second kingdom was to be the medio persian Empire. Now Babylon ruled from 606 to 536 B.C. Daniel was in Babylon all of that time. But in 536, the nation Babylon crumbled in a night. You recall in Daniel 5, there was handwriting on the wall. Mene, Mene, takele you farson. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And in that night, the mighty Babylonian empire, the head of gold, crumbled in ruin away. And the Medes and the Persians came. The Medes and the Persians were the breast and arms of silver. Now silver is less valuable than gold, but it is harder. The kingdom was inferior but it was much harder than Babylon. It was an allegorical government, a government of the few. There were 120 princes and over these there were three presidents of whom Daniel was one. Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will fade away and there'll be another kingdom to supplant you, but even it will not last. That kingdom that supplants you will it be the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, breast and arms of silver, less valuable but harder than you. In verse 39, verse B, and another third kingdom of bronze which shall bear rule over all the earth. This referred to the Grecian Empire under Alexander. Alexander and the Greeks ruled from 331 to 146 B.C., and the Grecian Empire was the belly and thighs of bronze or brass. Now brass or bronze or copper is less valuable than gold or silver. It was an aristocratic type of government, a government by the nobility, not the nobility of the, uh, of the of, you might say, wealth or of people who are uh, uh, aristocrats But rather, it was a type of nobility of chief men. You remember that Alexander, raised in Greece, crossed the Hellespont, conquered all of Asia Minor and conquered Palestine and went over to the streets of Babylon. And tradition says he sat down on the sides of the streets of Babylon and wept because there were no more worlds to conquer and he died at the age of 33 the same age our Lord was when he died. But this empire was not destined to last. With all of its splendor and all of its glory and all that the Grecian empire handed down to those who came after it, the Grecian empire was destined to fall apart. Now notice in verses 40 and 43, And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly among a strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. The fourth great world empire, after Babylon, after the Medes and Persians, after Alexander and the Grecians, was to come Rome and its survivals. Rome came to ascendancy as a great world empire in 146 BC and it lasted longer than the others. It lasted over 700 years until the year 637 AD when the Holy Land was taken by the Mohammedans and the Holy Roman Empire lasted on and on beyond that until the 17th century. Now this was the empire of the legs and iron, legs of iron. Iron is the cheapest of the four metals, gold and silver and bronze and then iron. The feet and toes were of iron and clay mixed. The Roman Empire conquered and controlled for hundreds of years the center of the then known world. The feet and toes are part of this kingdom and represent the ten kingdoms which shall come out of this fourth world empire on the stage of human history. This kingdom disintegrated into ten kingdoms and may be seen today in the nations that are based on the Roman law and that form of rulership. The Mohammedans occupied Jerusalem in 637 B.C. and they held it till 1917. But the Roman rule was imperialistic, military, ruthless like the Nazi Germany. The feet and toes, the ten kingdoms coming from this one democracies all over the world that grew out of this one kingdom. And so we see in the interpretation of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in the night, an interpretation that opened, you might say, unfolded all the world empires that would come, rise to power and crumble and ruin away until one day there would come a forever kingdom. Now this is an important encouragement to men's hearts today. Not only is it a tremendous prophetic utterance that takes us from the year 585 B.C. down to the year to our present age, but it is a reminder, first of all, that the kingdoms of this world, no matter how tyrannical, no matter how ugly, no matter how dark, no matter how they may treat the people, the kingdoms of this world will not and cannot last forever. Rome had its day, but when Rome began to mistreat the people of God, its days were limited. And Rome finally disintegrated into all of the kingdoms and the nations that now are speak, you might say, the romantic languages, Italy, France, Spain, and England, and all of the others. Those nations are the leftovers of the great Roman Empire. But those empires, we're reminded by the dream Nebuchadnezzar had and Daniel's interpretation, those empires were not destined to last forever. But there was coming a forever kingdom a forever kingdom that should smite the Gentile world empires and would establish the king of the kingdom of the king forever and forever. Because of limited time, we'll not go in tonight to the discussion of all that are to come out of that Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire and how there will be ten nations gathered together in the last days. It could well be the common nations of Europe, the common market nations. And incidentally, I understand there are nine, and there is one more nation needed to complete that tenth kingdom. And it could well be that this will be the new ten-kingdom empire that will rule during tribulation period when the Antichrist sets up His throne and rules as a king and imposter in the place of Christ but the important lesson we learn from here and the lesson we have for tonight is that regardless of the tyranny regardless of the apparent success the kingdoms of this world with all their glory and all their prowess and all their power will not last they will crumble in ruin away, but the Lord God omnipotent will reign forever and forever. There is coming a forever kingdom, and that forever kingdom comes, you see, in verse 44, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Now notice who's going to set the kingdom up, not men not some world ruler, not even the church, not even the Christian movement. You know, there have been some misinterpretations of Scripture who have said that the church will preach the glorious gospel around the world, and the gospel preaching will be so effective that eventually will rule and reign in the hearts of men because Christ will rule and reign in their hearts and we will be able to establish the forever kingdom. This group are called the postmillennialists. The postmillennialists teach that the world is going to get better and better and better as the kingdom of God is preached and the word of God is sowed in the hearts of people. And people are going to receive and Christ will grow up in men's lives and men's lives will be so radiant that they will change their communities and change the nations, and the nations of this world one day will say, come, we want Christ to be the ruler over us all. Nothing could be further from the clear teaching of the Scripture. darker, and darker, and darker, that sin is rampant, and men's hearts hate God, and hate righteousness, and only when there is a divine intervention, and the Lord God comes to live in a man's heart, only then is he saved, and can he influence his own community. But beloved friend, the Scripture does not teach that the masses of the world, that all the world peoples will be saved. The scripture does say that before the end comes, the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. And that's going on right now. There's scarcely a nation anywhere that does not have an effective witness. And God has raised up the tools of television and radio and the printed page in order to get the glorious gospel out. And in South America, nations are calling for America to send Bibles. Peru, Bolivia, and other nations have asked America to send Bibles. The governments of those nations have asked us to do this. While here in our own place, boards of education are saying you cannot distribute the Scriptures on a voluntary basis. Around the world there is a heart cry, there is a hunger for the Word of God. Nonetheless, where the Word of God is preached, the Bible says some will believe and some will believe not. And our world will not be won to Christ by missionary endeavor. Our world will not be won to Christ by soul winners. Oh, you say, preacher, why do you push missions? Why do you push soul winning? Why do you say we ought to go? Because Jesus told us to. I don't know of any better reason than that. We ought to go drive those buses around the world and around our city and around and pick up people because Jesus said to do it. We ought to go knock on doors and urge people to come to Christ because Jesus said to do it. Not because we think we're going to win the whole city or the whole world. This world is going to grow darker and darker and darker. But the forever kingdom is coming one day. And you'll notice in verse 44, in those days, in the days of those kings, that is, the kings of those ten nations, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. God is going to do it, not man. God is going to do it, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdoms shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Listen, Christian friend, you and I are on the winning side. Now you may be a, a blasphemed, and you may be laughed at, and you may have a difficult time, and there may be days so dark that you seek in vain for the face of your friend divine, and you may wonder why, well, since I gave my heart to Christ, people don't understand me. I used to be a jolly good fellow, and everybody liked me, but when I became a Christian and started serving the Lord. Uh, People don't understand me. They don't understand why my speech is different. They don't understand why my actions are different. They don't understand me. And you begin to wonder, what's the trouble? What's the problem? I read a little verse that said, when I realized I had found the Lord, I was so glad, for I thought all my troubles would be o'er. But dear friend, when you give your heart to Christ, the troubles begin. The conflicts begin. The friction begins. Because then you run a different way from the world. The world is on a road leading down to hell. It's a broad road. Jesus said, broad is the way, and many there be that go in thereat. But when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you're on a narrow road, and the narrow road is right in the middle of that broad road, and you do an about-face, and you start toward Christ. And all the friction, all the people going down to hell, going the other way, are rubbing around you and doing their best to try to get you dissuade and going back with them you give your life to Christ you're on a new road, a narrow road that leads to life. Jesus said when the Son of Man comes will he find faith on earth in this forever kingdom. Notice the wonderful joy of that forever kingdom. When the stone smites the image it is not in the time of the head of gold. It is not in the time of the breast and arms of silver. It is not in the time of the belly and thighs of brass. It is not in the time of the legs of iron, but it is in the time of the feet and toes of iron and clay, which is the now time, the time after the passing of the Roman Empire and the time of a, an apparent resurrected Roman Empire. How do we know these things? How do we know that the smiting stone has not yet fallen in the still future? Some have said that this smiting stone happened when Christ first came. But notice, that was in the time of the legs of iron. That was Roman Empire. The event described here is the utter desolation of the Gentile rule, and that has not yet happened. The smiting is to be sudden. When Christ first came, he did not smite, he healed. The shepherds, the wise men, the rulers never dreamed what was happening. Some have said the church will get the world better and better. We've already seen that that can never happen. Satan, Satan is still the god of this world. And in 2 Corinthians 4:4 we read that he is the god of this world, and he blinds the eyes of them which believe not. What will the forever kingdom be like? Well, in verse 44, we read that it will come suddenly. It will not evolve. Secondly, Christ will be not the Lamb, but the Lord according to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ will be not the Savior, but the Judge, and the wrath of God will be unleashed on sin, and the Scripture will be fulfilled. That is, the midnight kingdom of Satan will come to an end and there will be one King and one Lord." Listen to this. In Luke, that wonderful passage, chapter 3, verse 9 of Luke. Listen to what God says there. In Luke 3, 9, Now also the ax is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And in Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord, and His name shall be one. And in Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 4, listen to what God says in that passage. In Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 4, But with righteousness shall He judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And in Revelation chapter 19, verses beginning in verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man could know but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that are in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is going to rule forever and forever. Gone will be the midnight of sorrow. Gone will be all the tears that are in our eyes today. Gone will be all the misunderstandings and the hurts of the generations. And when Christ comes and He establishes that forever kingdom, you and I will reign and rule with Him forever and forever. Beloved friend, we're on the winning side. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in charge. Right now, they may blaspheme His holy name. They may spit on you. They may make fun of your stand. But when Christ comes, He will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. When the Lord comes, He'll even up all the uneven things. Now with this in mind, remember the story that Jesus told us. He said a certain man took a great journey. Before he went, he gave certain talents and gifts and obligations, responsibilities to his various people. Then he went on a far journey, he said, occupy till I come. That's what the Lord has said to us. He's given to you some gifts to sing some gifts of personality, a radiant, glowing personality. He has given others gifts of making money. He has given to some gifts of teaching. He has given to some the the abilities and gifts to invest their lives in other people's lives. Now the the Lord is coming one day. And when he comes, he's going to say, give an account of your stewardship. What have you done with what I gave you? What have you done with these abilities that I gave you? What have you done with your singing ability? What have you done with your teaching ability? What have you done with your financial ability? Occupy till I come. And when the Lord comes, he will ask for an account of stewardship. I wonder if, the Lord should come tonight if we'd be ready if we could say Lord I took what you gave me and I used it for thy glory I invested it I did all that I could possibly do for you or would we have to say Lord I uh, I really wasn't very faithful with what you gave me. That's the question of this message tonight. What have we done with what God has given us in the light of the four temporary kingdoms and the forever kingdom? You see, we can either invest all we have in what's going on right now, We can invest everything we are and have in materialism, in secularism, in all the things, or we can pour our whole being toward the forever kingdom. Which will it be? Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father in heaven, we pray, should there be one person here tonight who is without Jesus, that the Spirit of the Lord would move upon that person's heart and draw him to Christ. Oh God, help us to realize that one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall rule forever. Give us the realization of the truth. We're to not love the world nor the things that are in the world, but our whole love is to be poured out toward Christ. Give us a great desire to see people saved. Holy Spirit of God, speak to our souls. Have thine own way. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation. As we sing, this is the invitation of the Lord. In the light of Christ's coming, what have we done with what we have? With our gifts, with our abilities, with our time, with our talents? Are they at the disposal of the Lord? Or have we held on to them Are we inhabitors of the earth, or are we sojourners? An inhabitor of the earth is one who settles down here, makes this earth his home, and almost everything he does is in relationship to earth. A sojourner is one who realizes his home is in heaven, that Christ is coming. One day he'll give an account of his stewardship before the Lord. And so while he has one foot on earth, he has another foot in heaven. And he's saying, Lord, I'm just a sojourner here. I want everything I do in this earth to count for eternity, with eternity's values in view. Now with that in mind, what does God want you to do for him? There are people in this auditorium have a special gift you could give to God. Gift of your personality, gift of your time, gift of your talents. Would you offer it to the Lord? If you're here and you've never been saved, you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, you need Him. It's our prayer that you would open your heart to Jesus and trust Him as your personal Savior, and Lord. God help you to do it. While we wait, while we pray, is there someone who would come this evening and say, I want to give my life to Jesus, or I want to live a deeper life for God. I want to be what He wants me to be. I want to serve the Lord. While we pray, while we wait, would you step out for God?